This evening's scripture reading will come from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. That can be found on page 991 in the Red Pewback Bibles. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adore themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. It's good to see all of you this evening. I was reminded this afternoon that I need to be clear when I talk about things. For example, um, I talked about um, the Spring Creek Barbecue event this Friday for those who are widows and widowers. And I said, I think it's on Mason somewhere. Be precise, John, be precise. It is at the corner of West Green and I-10, okay? That's, that's where the restaurant is located. When I was in preaching school, they told us a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pews. <laughs> Sorry about that. And, and please, if you, uh, if you plan on participating in that, it starts at 11 a.m. on, on a Friday and uh, widows and widowers are all welcome, free lunch. Um, Brother Miller himself, you may or may not know, he is a widower. Uh, his wife passed away about 10 years ago and that's what gave him impetus. He's a gospel preacher, but that's what started him on this work and this ministry of, of caring for and reaching out to people who have suffered severe loss in their lives. And so again, be praying about this event coming up this coming weekend. And I know a lot have signed up today. Thank you for doing that so that we can have a head count for meals and things like that. Thank you for being a part of that. This is going to be what I might call a preachy class, or you might call it a classy sermon. I don't know which. I've got some technology, and I'm really thankful to Joe Brewer for setting this up where I can put a text on the screen, and I can circle some words and underline and highlight some things as we talk together. I wanted to spend just a few moments tonight talking about the case for Christian modesty. Modesty is a word that you don't hear a whole lot these days, but it's one that the Bible clearly talks about. You can open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10, the passage that Max read just a moment ago. But before we get to 1 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 10, I want to share with you the reason why 1 Timothy was written. In 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul tells us the reason for his writing this epistle. He says, I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I'm writing these things so that you, uh, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So why is 1 Timothy written as a book? This is the purpose statement. He says, I'm writing so that you may know how to behave, how to conduct yourself as Christians. This book is written so that Christians can know how to live together as the family of God. And notice the family terminology that's here, the household of God. That is, this is God's family. We belong to him. When we're baptized, we become children of God. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are at that point supposed to live and conduct ourselves in the roles that people in a family would have. So in your family, at your home, or wherever you grew up, 
everybody had a role. Father has a role, mother has a role, children have a role, and there are different roles that people play in a family. And so it is in the church of the living God, in the household of God. Everybody has a role of some kind, some shape or form. And so the reason why 1 Timothy is written is so that the people of God, the children of God, that we can conduct ourselves in a way that pleases and honors God. And notice verse 15, the church of the living God, the household of God. We are God's family. You know, sometimes if you're a parent, your kids are running around and, you know, somebody might say, well, whose kids are these? And you're kind of embarrassed to answer sometimes. Those are my kids. We're supposed to act like we are God's children. We're supposed to live that way in the world. That's what this is about. And notice as well, this passage tells us that the purpose of the church is to be a pillar and ground or buttress for the truth. We are supposed to live and conduct ourselves in such a way that people can see and recognize there's truth. The truth has changed us. The truth has transformed us. It's made us who we are. God has given us the truth in the gospel and we are to uphold it. We're to support it. And not just by our words, but by our lives. People are supposed to see this is God's truth, the gospel, the message of salvation. And so the reason why 1 Timothy is given to people, given to us, is so that we can understand this is our role. We are supposed to behave ourselves like the household of God, to exalt God, to show that we are the assembly of the living God, and to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's a heavy and a high responsibility that God has given to his people. And so, as you continue looking at this passage, I want you to notice, or looking at 1 Timothy, hang on just a minute, there we go. All right. Technology doesn't always do what you think it's going to do. All right. First Timothy chapter two, verses eight through 10. Let's talk about this passage for just a moment. I'm going to read it. And I want you to notice that it deals with both men and women. We're talking about roles in the church. We're talking about what it means to live like God's children. I desire then, it says in verse eight, first Timothy two, verse eight, that in every place, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And so notice just right off the bat, we're talking about in this passage, the men, you see that? But then he says in verse nine, likewise also I desire that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The title of the lesson is the case for Christian modesty. Does the Bible have anything to say about how we dress, what we wear? The answer is an emphatic yes. The Bible has things to say about how all of us choose to dress, what we choose to wear. The Bible does very explicitly in this passage and some others talk about this matter. And I want you to notice as well as we get started with our study of this passage, I want you to notice how it begins. I desire... And if you're reading that and you're not really aware of what's happening here, you might come away with the idea that this is just Paul's opinion. This is just his wish and his hope. That's not what's happening here. What Paul is doing is speaking here as an apostle. He is a representative of Jesus Christ on earth. He is an apostle. And when he says, I desire, he's not just saying, this is my preference. 
He's saying, I'm speaking with apostolic authority. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at your Bible, in 1 Timothy 2 verse 7, he just got through telling people he is an apostle. You see that in verse 7? And so the apostles have authority. They are men in the first century that Jesus sent to carry the gospel everywhere. And when they wrote things down and said, I desire or I would that this happen in the church, he's not just saying, this is my personal opinion. He's saying, this is the Lord's will. This is what God wants for our lives. And so right off the bat, there's authority in this passage. Now I want you to notice as well, this is where we really start to kind of see what, what God's getting at in telling us these things. I want you to notice that in this passage, you've got two issues. You've got men praying and you've got women and how they are adorned. But notice some of the things that are happening. It says the men should pray. That is a form of speaking the way that they lead in prayer. It also talks about holy hands being lifted without anger or quarreling. Anger and quarreling are both speech and they're a form of behavior. Sometimes we can act in a quarrelsome way. We can act in a way that is hostile towards somebody else. And so speech is being dealt with here. Our behavior is being dealt with here. It also talks about how women are to adorn themselves in their apparel. It's supposed to be respectable. And so it's how we dress that's being addressed here with modesty and self-control. And he talks about what, what not to do, but what is proper for women who profess, who say that they're godly with good works. What are you getting at, John? Speech is dealt with in this passage. Behavior is dealt with in this passage. Apparel is dealt with in this passage. All three of those things are dealt with in one passage. Our speech, what we say, our behavior, what we do, and our apparel, what we wear. All three of those things are being regulated and governed by the will of God if we're listening to what's being said in this passage. Here's the gist. You and I, wherever we go, even in 2024, 2000 years after those words were written, are constantly communicating. Everywhere you go, everybody you encounter, you are constantly communicating in three ways. You are communicating by what you say or by what you don't say and your body language as well. You are communicating by your actions and you are communicating by what you choose to wear. I happen to be a fan of Texas A&M University. I went to school there. And so often you'll see me if I'm out you know, mowing the lawn or something, I've got a Texas A&M shirt. Or if we're playing a football game, I've got the shirt on. Why? Because I want to communicate to people, that's my team. They belong, you know, I belong to that group. And by what we choose to wear, we're communicating constantly. The groups we're a part of, the things that we value, the things that we think. What you, what you wear says something to the people around you. And when we talk about the biblical case for Christian modesty, what we're doing, what God's word does is God's word says our speech and our actions and our apparel, they ought to be consistent with someone who professes to be a godly person. That's the bottom line. What I say, how I behave, and what I wear, those things ought to be consistent with what it means to be a child of God because I'm part of God's household and so are you. We are the household of God, the pillar and the ground of truth, and we ought to behave ourselves and conduct ourselves 
and communicate to others by what we choose to wear and say and what we choose to do, that we are the people of God. Said another way, suppose somebody is well-dressed and their actions are, you know, what you would think was in accordance with a New Testament Christian's lifestyle, but suppose that that person was a terrible gossip. Or suppose that that person that purports to be a Christian, maybe their apparel and their actions are consistent with what a Christian would be, but when it comes to their use of vulgar language or taking their Lord's name in vain, their speech is immodest. What do you notice the most about the person? The Bible is telling us, brothers and sisters and friends, that if something is incongruous, if something, one of those three areas doesn't match the behavior and composure of what a Christian should be, that that can drown out everything else we're saying we're all about. That's what's being done here. So I say I'm a Christian, I live like a Christian, but I don't dress in such a way or what I choose to wear says something different than the fact that I'm a Christian. And people in the world and people in the church, they look at what I'm choosing to wear and they say, Christian wouldn't wear that. These things are supposed to be congruous. They're supposed to be consistent because we're constantly communicating. And so back to our passage in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. All of this is about our speech and our behavior and in the case of verses 9 and 10, our apparel. All of those things showing at the very bottom of the passage, look, that we are professing to be godly, that we are showing to the world that we are God's children, that we are God's family, that we are the pillar and buttress of truth. That's what we're trying to do. With all that in mind, let's tackle each verse just in a little bit of turn and talk about what's being done in this passage. In the first place, notice in verse eight, he deals with the men first. And you might say, well, these seem like unrelated topics. I don't believe they are. I believe that the way the men conduct themselves and the way that they pray and the things that are said here, God is saying, I want there to be consistency. What's he saying? Look at verse eight. I desire then that the men in every place, the men should pray. God has given, and by the way, we're talking about leadership. We're talking about when the church assembles, when God's people come together, or when there's a prayer being led in a group type setting, in a public setting. When that's happening, God's desire is for men to lead in that act of worship, in that avenue of approaching God. That's what he wants. In every place, he wants this to happen. But the the, the restriction and the qualifier in this passage is that these men who pray, who lead in prayer, they are to lift holy hands. And he goes on and explains what that means. What does it mean to lift holy hands? In the New Testament times, the way that people would pray, we stand up and if somebody stands up to lead a prayer, we say, will you bow your heads with me? Because our customary posture for prayer is we, we bow our heads and we're, we're showing our reverence and our submission and our humility before God. In the first century, a man would lift his palms like this or lift his hands like this to God as he stood and he prayed, as he led others in prayer. And so the, the passage is saying, what kind of hands do you have, men? What have you been doing with your life? Don't be men who are angry or quarrelsome. 
Don't be at odds with your brother and you're fussing and you're fighting with your brother in Christ and then you stand up and you try to lead a prayer to God. Don't be that way. Be consistent. Because when you stand up to lead a prayer, you are saying to others, I want to serve God and I want to please God. But then you say by your behavior and by your speech with other people that that's really not what you're about. God says, I want the men to lift holy hands without anger or quarreling. There's a tradition in the Old Testament passage that that talks about a couple of passages that talk about our hands as we pray. In Exodus 30, verse 17, back in the time of Moses and the tabernacle, the Lord said to Moses, Exodus 30, verse 18, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. And when they go into the tent, the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands with water so that they may not die. Be consistent, be cleansed, wash before you come into the presence of God, it's said in the Old Testament. Who shall ascend, it says in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And all God is asking for, back in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, is he's asking for the men who lead in prayer He's asking for them to live lives out of the pulpit, if you, were, if you would say it this way. Live lives that are consistent with the New Testament Christian because you're constantly communicating where your heart is and what you're, what's really important to you. You're constantly communicating those things by how you behave, by how you speak, and by what you choose to wear. That's what he says to men. Now, in verse 9, he switches the subject to women, and he says, likewise... That's why I say these are connected. Likewise, also, women. Women are supposed to conduct themselves in a certain way. Let's zoom in on verses 9 and 10. He says, women should, and by the way, this principle can apply to men as well. Women should adorn themselves. And how do I know he's talking about clothing? Because he uses respectable apparel. He uses the word for clothing here. They are to adorn themselves in that which is respectable, that which is orderly. That word adorn is used very flexibly in this passage. How are we to dress? The Bible says it's not just about the physical cloth, the clothing that you put on your body. It's also about your heart and your character. It's also about who you are on the inside. Women are to adorn themselves in respectable apparel. This word adorn is found in a couple of other passages. We're constantly communicating through our speech, actions, and apparel. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that in everything, exact same word, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's about how servants conduct themselves. It's about their behavior. You see, when the Bible talks about modesty... The Bible doesn't just focus on clothing exclusively. The Bible focuses on our clothing, yes, but our speech, yes, and our behavior, yes. All three of those. And it might well be the case that somebody could be very modestly dressed and yet still be very immodest because they are argumentative 
or because they pilfer or because they are constantly causing trouble and stirring up uh, anger and, and, and dissension and things like that. Modesty is more than just clothing, but it does include clothing. In 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, the word adorn is found as well. Do not let your adorning be external. If you've got the New King James, it even puts in italics there, merely outward. But don't let your adorning be external. He's talking to women again. He says the braiding of hair, the putting on gold and jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. It's about not just what a woman puts on her body. It's not just about outward apparel. It's about her speech. It's about her behavior. And they all come out of this gentle and quiet spirit. And the Bible tells us that in God's sight, that is a very precious way to conduct oneself. That's modesty. Now, back to our passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Oh, Proverbs 31, verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. Talking about the, 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 uh, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. So what's she clothed in? She's clothed in things that are matters of character, her strength and her dignity. This is God's will for people. This is God's will for his children, that we be clothed, that we be adorned in things that are strong and noble, that th- the, the gentle and quiet spirit that's very precious in the sight of God. Let's look at this passage in just a little bit of detail and the lesson will be yours in just a moment. Likewise also, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Everybody sees that. What he does then is give us three modifiers, three phrases that help us to understand what he has in mind by respectable apparel. Three things, number one, He says, your apparel ought to be with modesty and self-control. Number two, your apparel ought not to be with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. Number three, your apparel ought to be what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The first expression, modesty and self-control. Propriety and moderation, I believe the New King James says in that passage. The Bible is telling us, brothers and sisters and friends, that when we choose what we're going to wear, we are to exercise restraint. That's what those words mean. The word modest, the word self-controlled here, it means that we exercise restraint. We live in a society and in a time when people have in their minds, I can do whatever I want to do and nobody can tell me otherwise. Freedom is the number one virtue that our society values. Personal freedom, individual liberty. You can't tell me what I should or shouldn't wear. You can't tell me what I should or shouldn't say or should or shouldn't do. And the Bible is telling us God wants his children to be modest and self-controlled in what they say and what they do and what they wear. That word modesty, by the way, right there on the screen, that's the exact same word you read in Hebrews 12, verse 28. We ought to serve God with reverence. It's translated there and fear, reverence and awe. It's a word that means we are humble and submissive and we are reverent before God. I need to think about what I'm putting on and what I'm saying to the world and to the people around me 
And does it communicate that I have respect and reverence for God? Because that's ultimately who I'm trying to please. Secondly, as you look at this passage, notice that the expression It says we are not to be dressed in that which is braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Incidentally, interesting, the word costly there, that's the same word that's used in Mark chapter 14, and I believe it's verse 3, where the woman brings the flask, the costly perfume and anoints Jesus. Very expensive. That's what the word means. Extremely expensive. When the Bible talks about modesty in this passage, it's not talking about clothing that advertises sexuality. It's talking about clothing that is ostentatious, clothing that is saying to others around me, I'm wealthy. Look at my gold, look at my pearls, look at my jewelry. It's saying to others, this is who I am and this is what I'm all about. And the Bible says, no, Some of the women there in Ephesus 2,000 years ago needed to restrain themselves because that was all people could see in them. That was all people could see in the way that they were conducting themselves. They might have said the right things and they might have had good behavior, but because of the way they were dressed, that was drowning out the godliness that they were professing. When the Bible talks about modesty and when you think about everything the Bible teaches concerning modesty, there are three kinds of what I might call immodest apparel. Three kinds. Kind number one is this, that which is ostentatious, that which shows off our wealth. That's immodest. If I'm just dressing up and I'm just wearing something expensive just to show off, that is immodest. Number two, clothing that advertises sexuality in some way. It advertises my body. It advertises things that people should not be looking at. And it, it accentuates those things and it, it, it demonstrates those things in, in a way that, and you know what I'm talking about. That is immodest as well. Number three type of immodesty. Wearing clothing, maybe a t-shirt, for example, that has a slogan or represents a company that no Christian ought to be representing. Or the slogan that no Christian, nobody who says I'm a godly man, I'm a godly woman, nobody ought to be wearing clothing that advertises or says that or the vulgarities or things like that that are printed on t-shirts sometimes, that is immodest as well. And the case for biblical modesty, brothers and sisters and friends, it comes down to this. God is saying over and over in his word, I want my people to be consistent in their speech, behavior, and apparel so that my goodness and my grace and my mercy and my my son can be seen in you. And so don't choose to wear something as a Christian that people are going to look at and don't choose to behave yourself as a Christian in such a way that people are going to say, well, I I know you say that you serve Jesus, but I just, I, I, I don't know if that's true. Be consistent. Be the kind of person and dress in the kind of way that you're professing godliness. And then notice the third expression here. We are, and the ladies are in this passage, they are to wear what is proper. There is a kind of apparel that is improper and there is a kind of apparel that is proper. 
wear what is proper for women who profess godliness. This word profess is interesting. It is the same word that is used to describe the promises of God. When God makes a promise, God professes. That's the same word. He says, I promise you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I promise you, if you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added to you. He makes a solemn oath and and God uses that. He professes that this is how I'm gonna treat you. And what Paul is saying here is, as a Christian woman, you have said to the world when you were baptized, I want to be godly just like the men are to be holy. Back in verse eight, I want to be godly in the way that I live. Don't say anything, don't do anything, don't wear anything that is so loud, that so speaks so loudly that it drowns out godliness. Because we're, we're, we're lights to the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that, you may, that, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be consistent. And ultimately, if we're going to be adorned in anything, we ought to be adorned in good works. You see, speech, behavior, apparel, the Bible just kind of rotates through those three things. Speech, behavior, apparel, speech, behavior, apparel, speech, behavior, apparel. You're constantly communicating to others about how you feel and who your favorite team is and what you think is important and what you think about yourself and what you think about others. You're constantly communicating those things, speech, behavior, apparel. And the Bible's saying, you're gonna have to exercise as a Christian, modesty, restraint, self-control in all three of those areas so that godliness and good works can be better seen so that God can be exalted You remember what John the Baptist said in John 3, verse 30? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Those are great words to memorize and to ponder. I want more and more and more of God to be seen in my life and less and less and less of what I want and what I think is valuable and what I think is important. I want less and less and less of that to be seen in my life. That's the way a Christian lives. And that, brothers and sisters, is the case for Christian modesty. And so I know somebody's sitting there and they're saying, well, yeah, but you know, how short is too short a skirt? And how, how much, you know, how much can I reveal before I'm sinning and things like that? Here's the standard. The standard is, am I as a child of God speaking and acting and dressing in a manner that is becoming of a child of God? And don't just in your own mind say, oh, yeah, I think so. Listen to the people around you. Listen to your parents, young people, because they have some experience with this and how they believe that what we dress is communicating to others. Listen about those things and pray for wisdom in this matter because that's the way that God's word deals with this subject. We are supposed to be lights. We're supposed to show the glory and the greatness of God. May it ever be so with all of us that people look at us and they say, what a great God you serve. What a difference he makes in people's lives and what an amazing gospel he's given to the world. That's the goal. That's the priority. And I want to dress in a way that comports with that. Thanks so much for your kind attention this evening. I really appreciate it. This has been an experiment with a preachy class, classy sermon. 
Maybe you need to obey the gospel tonight. Maybe this is something that you've been thinking about doing and it's something that you know you need to do. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess that he is God's son. Repent of your sin. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's how somebody becomes a New Testament Christian. If we can help you to do that tonight, if we can pray for you, whatever your need, once you come, all together we stand and while we sing. All who live